I was hiking, I want to say somewhere in Vermont. And as I was going down trail, I saw a hiker out in front of me. So, you know, as I'm approaching, I go to my standard, hey, how's it going? And their comment is, you know, is basketball and football not enough for you people? That was Will Robinson, otherwise known as Akuna, the first African-American man to complete America's notorious Triple Crown. Having walked 7,900 miles along the Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail, and Continental Divide Trail, the achievement is what's made him famous. But his story doesn't start there. Welcome to Unventured, where we share inspiring stories from around the globe of the people who stepped up to break barriers, shake expectation, and reshape our future. I'm your host, Lindsay Hagen, and I'm so excited to kick the show off with you to share Akuna's story. Well, hey, Will. Welcome to the show. Hey, Lindsay. How's it going? It's going well. So the last time we saw one another, you just completed the Appalachian Trail, having already hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. And since then, you recently completed the Continental Divide Trail, deeming you the first African-American man to hike the Triple Crown. So that in itself was a huge accomplishment. And it sounds like when you set out to do these hikes, your intention wasn't necessarily to be the first African-American man to do so. Can you tell me a little bit what it's been like since you've returned back from those hikes and the publicity and some of the coverage that you've gotten since that experience? It's been kind of overwhelming because it was so unexpected. You know, when I uh, first started this journey four years ago of long distance hiking, I never had the intention of hiking to be the first African-American triple crowner or to even triple crown. You know, this was more about experiencing nature, doing some healing and, you know, just sharing that experience with other people. So cool. Yeah. It seems like since you've completed all three and probably along the way throughout this journey, you've kind of fallen into this, this leadership position. And I know you mentioned to me that you'd faced a bit of adversity on the trail, and you'd mentioned to me that there were two incidences. Would you mind shedding some light on, on some of the adversity you faced and, and how you dealt with that along the way? Definitely. You know, most of my interactions on trail have been great, but, you know, that just like in normal life, there are those exceptions. Most of the times, it's just the awkward stares or the whispers that people are having while they're staring at you. But the, the two actual incidents I had was uh, one in 2018 on the AT and one in 2016 on the PCT. Uh, on the AT, I was hiking, I want to say somewhere in Vermont. And as I was going down trail, I saw a hiker out in front of me. And I normally will engage that hiker to let him know I'm back there so I don't scare him. So, you know, as I'm approaching, I go to my standard, hey, how's this going? And the person looks back at me and their comment is, you know, is basketball and football not enough for you people? And, you know, at that point, you know, I'm frustrated. But he just continues on and on and on about why Black people should be outdoors. You know, we're not good with directions. Historically, we're bad at navigating. We're going to get lost. Search and rescue is going to be out there all the time. Then the price is going to go up. We're going to create fires. And he just kept rambling and rambling and rambling. He wouldn't move one to one side of the trail to let me around. He just kind of wanted me behind him. And I, I know for sure. some people, you think, yes, just blow up on this person. But I long known that, you know, as one of the few African-Americans that are out on these long distance trails, 
the experience that people have with me on this trail sets the tone for the next person that's going to be hiking right. behind me that is like me. So, you know, you can't flash on everybody. You can't be walked over, but you can't flash on everybody. That's a lot of pressure in person. You know, it, it can be, but, you know, luckily I don't have to be put in that situation all the time. Right. As we approach that trailhead, he finally steps off the trail to go down the side trail to the parking lot. That's when he finally really looks at me. Once he looks at me, he's like, hey, you know, my daughter and my wife have been following your journey. You know, you think I can get a picture with you? And I told him in a not so polite way to, you know, no, thank you and have a great day. Wow. Wow. What a backwards approach. What was the other experience like? Uh, the other time I was uh, hiking on the Pacific Crest Trail in 2016, and I went into town with another hiker. Her name is Tupai. And we went to Klamath Falls, Oregon, which isn't normally a town that you, uh, people go into, but you can reach it from the trail by hitching in. We uh, took us a long time to hitch, and finally a person picked us up, and she told us she picked us up because nobody's going to pick up a black person in the town, in that area. So be careful. And, you know, I've heard this up and down the trail a couple of times, and usually it's not as bad as what it's made out to. Uh, she drops us off in a side of town near where she was going, which was kind of an industrial area. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to find hotel, grocery store, things like that, and there's none of this around there. So we just start walking in a direction, and we started seeing houses. We saw an older gentleman outside cutting his grass. So I figured I would ask him, you know, where the uh, hotels and maybe the grocery store is. And as I'm walking up to him, Tupai is kind of making me aware that there's Confederate flags everywhere. But I'm from the South. I'm used to seeing Confederate flags. They don't really phase me at all. They're everywhere here. Hmm. So as I, you know get his attention and I ask, you know, excuse me, sir, can you point us in the direction of the hotels? He just looks at me and tells me, we don't have marijuana for you people here. And I was like, sir, I was asking about was the hotels. Our county doesn't keep marijuana here, so you can just move on. And <laughs> it shocked the person I was hiking with. Tupai, uh, as a white woman, she never really got to see those type of things happen in person. Right. So I think it really affected her more than it affected me at the time. It was probably eye-opening for her. Uh, I think it happens a lot when anytime I'm hiking with other people and we go somewhere and people are staring or people are, uh, uh, what's the term? I I guess you can see sometimes people are overly nice to me to to make sure I feel welcomed. Mm -hmm. But when I'm around other hikers, they notice it, and most of the time it's pretty shocking for them. Or a lot, it's the first time they see things like that. Tell me a little bit about your trail name, Akuna. Did you get that on the PCT? Yes, I got that my first year on the Pacific Crest Trail in 2016. I got it probably within the first two days. Uh, you know, I was sitting around with the hiker I met on day one, and she would ask me the normal through hiker questions. You know, what's your base weight? I don't really know. It's well enough. I can carry it. You know, uh, what are you going to do about water? It's a dry year. You know, it'll work out. (laughs) What are you going to do about the Sierras when we get there with all the snow? We have 700 miles to worry about that, you know, when we get there. So, yeah, it'll work its way out. I'm not worried about it. And all the questions she would ask me, I basically was like, I'll figure it out. Or not worried about it. Or we have time for it. She's like, man, 
you just don't worry about anything. And I was telling her in my normal life, I worried about everything out here. Only thing I want to be concerned with is, am I going the right direction and how far is the next water? That's it. She's like, yo, he's just not going to worry. I think we should call you Akuna Matata. You know, no worries from the Lion King. And then we kind of shortened it to Akuna. I love it. Well, clearly that approach worked for you because you set out non-intentionally and and did these three through hikes that are so notorious within the United States. Um, How many miles did you end up walking and how many years did it take you? The Triple Crown is normally about 8,000 miles, but since I had the first incomplete trip on the PCT, I've hiked since, since 2016, 9,600 miles and some change on long-distance trails. That's amazing. And and you mentioned that Akuna was, wasn't really a mentality, no worries wasn't a mentality that you knew or focused on before the trail. Can you bring me back to age 18, the year you enlisted in the U.S. Army? Uh, it was some good times, you know, I, as a young man, I was more carefree and I, I kind of, you know, just lived my life however. It wasn't always a positive thing, you know, being raised here in New Orleans in the 90s. This is was murder capital of the world. A lot of things were street life. So, you know, I was caught up in a lot of that and that's actually how I joined the Army. But I didn't live my life with so many worries and concerns and things until 2003, going to Iraq and coming back and dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and depression. And that changed me forever. It made me the, an antisocial person. It made me suicidal. It took me to some really, really dark places and everything became a worry or a concern. Yeah, that'll, that'll change the way you look at the world. Tell me a bit about Will Robinson before the Army and Will Robinson after the Triple Crown. Who was Will Robinson then and who is Will Robinson now? And what's changed? Will Robinson was, you know, he was that guy that everybody wanted to hang out with. Everybody wanted to either emulate or be in a circle, you know. I was always the person, like, you know, my younger days doing the things that other people wanted to do, you know, like in high school and everybody's having house parties. I'm at the clubs, you know, I kept up with the fashions, the trends. I kind of lived a carefree life. And a lot of that was, you know, running around the streets of New Orleans doing all kind of stuff I wasn't supposed to do. Will Robinson joining the military had been humbled because I went to the military because I got in a lot of trouble. And that was my options, military or face jail time. Mm -hmm. And that's how I went to the military. And I went in humbled and I knew, hey, this was my second chance. I need to make the most of it. So, you know, I stopped a lot of the dumb things I was doing and I concentrated more on just trying to be. And I felt like I had achieved that until I came back from Iraq and I kind of worked backwards. At this point, you know, I wasn't the person I was in the military, but I wasn't the person I was before the military. Mm. It was like a a whole new identity for me. This one was angry, mad at the world. My temper would just go off for no reason out of nowhere in the extreme. You know, this person was depressed all the time. This person worried about everything anybody could see from him. You know, I didn't show emotions. I didn't show weakness. I didn't want to be around people. 
and I kind of turned my home into like my personal prison. I didn't leave here unless I needed to leave. Mm. How did you find help? Uh, I um, had been treated for post-traumatic stress with the, the VA for about a decade, but all the therapy and all the medication wasn't really helping me. You know, I was just getting more depressed, more isolated. The only difference was I felt more like a zombie, like just I'm just here. I'm stuck in my body and it's not mine anymore. Like I don't have any control over it. Mm-hmm. And I hated that feeling. And, uh, you know, what saved me was sitting in my room one day and the film Wild was on, which was based on Cheryl Strait's book, Wild, about her journey on the Pacific Crest Trail. And that flashed me back to 2003 in Iraq, where I had found a guidebook for the Pacific Crest Trail that I read a lot while I was in Iraq. You know, it was my escape from my environment, envisioning myself on these trails. And I told myself then I would love to try this one day. And, you know, after I was discharged from the military, uh, life happens. You know, I went from being an athletic, healthy person to disabled. And that came with a lot of doctor's appointments, surgeries, medications, you know, restrictions on your life. You can't do this. You can't do that. So it was a dream. I kind of just let completely die until that moment. And watching uh, Reese Witherspoon on the TV, carrying her giant pack, I, you know, got that flashback of that trail I read about. And I wondered if it's the same one. So I Googled it real quick and realized, yeah, it's that trail I was reading about when I was in Iraq. Did a little more research and it was like, people do still try to hike that whole thing. And for some reason, it made sense to me that I needed to do that. Wow. If I wanted to get out of this dark place I was in, this is what I need. How long did it take you to take the plunge since you returned from Iraq to start the trail? Uh, You know, I came back from Iraq in 2003. Mm -hmm. I was discharged in 2004. I didn't hit the trail until 2016. But from the time I watched Wild to the time I was standing at the Southern Terminus, it was probably a week to two weeks tops. Wow. So where you grew up in Slidell, uh, Louisiana or Slidell, what about friends and family? Like I, I know you've mentioned to me that hiking is not a huge focus locally, but I know that you've come back and you've had huge influence since you've gotten into through hiking. Can you tell me a little bit about how you've shared that experience with your local community? And uh, hiking still isn't, you know, a huge outdoor activity here. But lately, the last couple of years, every year I come back, I'm usually able to schedule an event or two with an organization called Loop NOLA here in New Orleans. And what they do is they bring kids that are from the city who don't normally have the opportunity to experience nature to different state parks and take them hiking or camping or kayaking or fishing and letting them build that initial like orientation with nature. And it's an amazing thing. And I'm so thankful to be parts of things like that. You know, maybe when I was younger, if they had these type of organizations around, I wouldn't have waited till well into my thirties to, you know, fall in love with the outdoors. And, you know, being here in Louisiana, we were talking about a lot of kids that are from the city. A lot of them are in tough situations. Louisiana and Southeast Louisiana specifically, it's a lot of poverty here. You know, you have a lot of kids that sometimes the only time to eat is when they go to school. You know, you have a lot of kids who parent is working two jobs and doesn't have a lot of time to spend with them. So they end up, you know, 
raising themselves, which usually means being out in the streets doing things you're not supposed to do. So I think uh, a lot of kids here, you know, they see me and, you know, I have my dreadlocks, I have my tattoos, I look like they big homie down the street that might be up to no good, but doing something positive. So it shows them that there's another option. So having come off the trail and come back home now, how have you applied those lessons from the trail and your whole mentality from the trail to your life at home now? And and what does the trajectory look like for you now, Will? You know, it's like every time I've hiked, I've tried to bring more of a cooner to that more carefree, that more uh, charismatic leader back home with me. And I think, you know, I've been pretty successful in that just based off of the way that people interact with me. It's like people kind of, I guess, can see the confidences back in my life and they gravitate toward that. And, you know, maybe before when, if I wanted to talk to someone about the outdoors, they either didn't want to listen or I couldn't do it because those situations gave me anxiety. Now I think they see the confidence in me and I'm confident enough with myself to have these conversations with them. And, you know, not a day goes by that someone doesn't recognize me and want to talk about trail. And now I can actually do these type of things, which a few short years ago, I would have avoided completely. Wow. So, uh, yeah. What is what does the future look like for Will? You know, it was going to be the North Country Trail. But, you know, in light of COVID-19, this wasn't the time for it. I didn't want to risk exposure and start bringing this to, you know, the trail and the communities that I love. So I, I just didn't take that risk. And lately here, I've been, you know, just talking on a lot of podcasts and video chats, you know, trying to help do my part to help keep the, you know, the hiking community connected. You know, I know being isolated and being at home for so many people, it can be a really depressing thing. You know, being away from nature, being away from your friends, your family members, especially if you live alone, mm-hmm. it can be really tough. It can be really challenging. And I've been there. So, you know, I've been, um, you know, like I say, jumping on different podcasts, jumping on different video chats, putting up the silly uh, video through hiking my yard <laughs> just to, you know, make sure other people don't fall into that depression, you know, to give them something to put that smile on their face. That's wonderful. Well, I, I appreciate you putting in the time and making such a conscious effort because I think that's something the world really needs more of right now. Definitely. And I wanted to ask you, what sort of changes moving forward do you hope to see in the world? Moving forward, I, you know, I'm one of these people where I believe a lot of the, the problems that we have in society now stems from us moving further and further away from being what actual communities are supposed to be. You know, as a community, you're supposed to care about people, not possessions, you know, not money, but more about people. And that's what I would like to see change moving forward is, you know, people caring more about people. I mean, even applying this to COVID, you know, if people took the precautions that they need to take or listen to those stay at home orders because they cared about that person next door that's a senior or the person on the other side of them that is, has an immune system that's compromised, we may not have been in as bad a situation as we're in right now. Right. So I just hope that the, the uh, emphasis starts getting back on people and not everything else.
Well, I appreciate you so much, Will. Thank you for taking the time to chat. Hopefully we come out of this and you can get back on the trail. But in the meantime, keep doing the good work and I'll talk to you soon. Stay healthy. I sure will. Now you take care of yourself. All right. Thank you, Will. Talk soon. All right, now. Bye. Step Studios is a Los Angeles-based collective sharing unventured stories from around the globe of people who've stepped up to break barriers, shake expectation, and reshape our future. I'd like to extend a special thanks to our producer, Megan Arizmendi, and our editor and mixer, Eric Capo. To see this podcast and more, visit stepstudios.com slash podcasts. Be sure to catch our next episode of Unventured, featuring Erin Parisi, the first trans woman to attempt the seven summits.